1: is here they have that door to green four uh, they use it as a screen Paul Pierce was there and he cleaned it and that's how you're able to get the open shot on the inside. Knocked away by Will Cox. Here comes Boston on the run. Here's Crawford on the drive. Scores it. Again, that Boston quickness running the floor. Terry with the miss. But there's Bradley. They can jump. with playing defense and now offensive rebounding Avery Bradley is a defender, but you're not expecting him to score 22 points, I'm sure. No, not at all. But, you know, that's what he's been doing for this team. He's spotting up, making the open shots. He's running their team. He's playing great. It's the Celtics Beat with Ty Ray.
2: All right. Good evening, Celtics fans. Welcome to CLNS Radio, Celtics Beat. My name is Rich Conti and I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk Celtics, the off-season comings and goings, the NBA Summer League, and what the 2015 season might hold in store for the Celtics, for the NBA in general. In a bit, we'll be joined by Dr. Andre Snellings, who, barring any technical difficulties, will be calling in from the Thomas & Mack Center out in Las Vegas, where he's catching some Summer League action right now. Well, the big news that happened this week uh, on Friday when the trade uh, that sent the remainder of the Big Three, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, down Route 95 a bit to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, was finalized. Also this week, we got our first look at rookie first-round pick Kelly Olynyk, as well as a few other Celtic hopefuls for the upcoming season. Finally, new Celtics head coach, Brad Stevens, uh, began assembling his staff and getting to know his players as he prepares to lead the team for this transitional rebuilding period coming up. If you want to call in and give us your thoughts on any of these topics, or really anything Celtics-related, dial area code 347-215-7771, and we'll try to get you in on the last segment. All right, well, we've got a guest on, uh, Andre Snelling's on line. Welcome, Andre. How's the weather out there in Vegas?
1: Sorry about that, Andre. Uh, how's the weather out
2: there in Vegas?
0: Um, It's like scaldingly hot But from what I'm told It's not nearly as hot as it was two weeks ago <laughs> They said but, last, a couple weeks ago It was in the right? 120s
2: Yeah, but it's a dry
0: heat, right? Yeah, it, it's a dry heat You know, I, I lived in North Carolina for a while So, you know, I know what, what a humid heat's like too But I don't care Dry heat still heat
2: that, That's right Well, actually, I'm in uh, Charleston, South Carolina right now So uh, not too far from oh, okay. North Carolina So we get quite a bit of humidity here well thanks for joining oh, the yeah. show um you know let's let's maybe start off by talking a little bit about the trade with the Nets and and what it means for for both franchises you know for the for the seeds there's been a lot of discussion in the media and among fans that the deal kind of signals a rebuilding phase and some would argue a long overdue rebuilding phase and um it's no secret that I've been opposed to the deal and really opposed to the whole you know get something for KG and Pierce while you can mind set um so what's your <clears> take on the deal and whether it's necessary
0: yeah to me i i really felt i think the, the same way as you I, I felt that this was premature um I've never been one of the slash-and-burn, rebuild kind of guys because I don't think it works. I think I think it very, very rarely works, but teams cheap going back to the well as if it's a tried-and-true method, and I really don't think it is, and especially in the Celtics' case because, you know, it's one thing if you have a team with all older, rich, you know, kind of bloated contracts and, and and there's no upside and there's, there's no young pieces, then maybe, okay, you you might need to um, really see what you can do to get some young pieces on the team. But the Celtics were full of of quality young pieces. I mean, obviously, Rondo and and Bradley and Jeff Green and and Sullinger, you know, these are all players in their 20s, and and they're all players that could be legitimate, strong uh, contributors to a contender. Rondo, arguably, is one of the better players. So um, they they had a lot of good young talent, and then – after, I guess, the Doc Rivers uh, deal with the Clippers, they had four number one picks in the next three drafts. So they had plenty of ammunition for, for more young pieces to come. They weren't the team that just needed to, to get an infusion of youth. They already had some. And then you add to that that the last time this team was healthy, they were legitimately a quarter away from making it back to the NBA Finals. And when you look at what the Spurs did this year against really against everyone, but against the Heat as well, the Spurs team, to me, has a lot of similarities to what the potential of the Celtics team was before the trade. And so I was against the trade because I thought that, A, they could contend now and still have the youth in place to rebuild for later. Um, But that said, the trade has been made. And so since it's been made, now you kind of look to the future. And moving forward, the Celtics do have a lot of interesting things going on. You know, they have all of those young pieces that I mentioned before, and now there are a lot more uh, draft picks coming over the next few years. Um, They have this exciting new young coach that, um, you know, he's an analytics guy. I'm a big analytics guy. You know, I've I've never been on this show before, so you might not know that, but I'm essentially a a nerd. And so um, (laughs) I was excited to see that, um, that there's a coach coming in that, Kind of appreciates and, and will apply those those methods. So, um, I think that the future has the potential to be bright, um, but it's you know it, it's very it's very uncertain right now. So, and the team still has some moves to make this summer before we really know what we'll see going in the next year.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I obviously was not a um, as I mentioned at the outset a big fan of of moving Garnett and KG. Particularly, it seemed like a lot of folks. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to move them just to, as they put it, move on. And it was kind of a, you know, deal with mm-hmm. guys for, for, you know, just for the sake of, of change. And, you know, my, my thoughts are very similar to yours. A quarter away from, a from the NBA finals in 2012. They gave Miami all they can handle. Honestly, if not for, you know, a, uh, kind of unlikely run of three point shooting by Chris Bosch in that game exactly. seven. And some, and some cold, you know, um, you know, long-range shooting from from the Celtics. You know, they they might have been in the funnels. And you know, as you said, it's not like they were bereft of talent going forward. And honestly, except for the short term, they were in an advantageous position from a, a, a salary cap perspective. You know, the, the money would have been tight this year. It would have been difficult this offseason to add much to that core without you know um, some some fortunate deals. But going forward, they really didn't have a lot of future money committed, particularly if you consider that, you know, it was unlikely that KG was going to play the full three years, you know, that he re-upped for anyway. So, you know, I was against it more in the principle of, um, you know, not only are these guys still very good players, they're not, you know, obviously the the franchise-carrying talents they were, you know, even just four or five years ago. But I, I think people really underestimate the value of, the experience, the, the the mindset, the the understanding how, of what it takes to compete, that those guys brought to the table, and the value that had going forward for for that young emerging core that you talked about, guys like Rondo, Green, Sullinger, Bradley, even Courtney Lee, all stood to benefit. Greatly from playing and practicing alongside KG and Pierce, and and you know sure they've they've I'm sure learned quite a bit and have have kind of absorbed some of that from KG and Pierce already. But honestly, I, I think continuing to do that would have as much or more value than a, a couple of extra first round picks. So, oh no, that's an excellent you said, point. You know, the, yeah, no, I was yeah, go just
0: That That's yeah. an, uh, that's an excellent point because. And, and, and you're right, I didn't touch on it before, but how often do you hear about the culture that changed in 2007 and 2008? It's almost become almost like trite because everyone that, that talks about this period always mentions how, oh, yes, the culture changed and, and everything was different and we had all of this championship experience and leadership experience and and now it's gone, you know. And just for the last couple of years, how many times has the Celtics brought in a big man that it's almost expected that Garnett was going to be the coach for them, you know, that that he's going to come in and not only show him some moves on the court, but show him how to be professional, show him how to practice, show them what's required if you want to play at the the upper levels. And, you know, for the net side of of the trade, that's actually something that, you know, that that I've written about, how um, one of the huge jumps for them this season is they had a you know they had talented players, you know, Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, they're all talented guys. They've been on playoff squads before. But just the sheer amount of leadership and cachet that's walking into the door right now just changes the entire outlook of what they can expect. And I agree. I don't see how if you're a Celtics fan or a Celtics management, the feeling is, well, we should just move on from it for the sake of moving on because – you're getting rid of all of that value that, that that's tangible. Whether it's easily quantified or not, this is tangible value that, that no longer is on the team. Um, and then kind of another thing that you mentioned to piggyback on to, you know, you were mentioning that Garnett and Pierce aren't what they were just a few years ago, and, and that's very true. But at the same time, I mentioned that I'm a nerd, you know, I'm, a, I'm an analytics guy, <laughs> and one of the – the um basketball statistics that I really enjoy looking at is a family of uh, plus-minus um, stats. Yes. And I, I like it because the, the box scores, just by definition, do not encompass the whole game. You know, they they probably do better on offense than on defense, but, you know, it's possible to have what you call empty stats um, if you just look at the box scores. But there's no such thing as an empty stat if you look at the plus-minus um, categories, which really just measure or try to take some type of progression of how the team performs when a certain player is around. And so um, because they're my favorite stats, I always pay attention to them. And so last year in the NBA, um, I'll give you one guess who the number one player in the NBA was in uh, uh, adjusted plus-minus uh, for 2013.
2: Yeah, I I uh, I'm going to guess Kevin Garnett. I know for a fact he was he was leading for a while. I I sort of lost track <laughs> of it around about March when the when the season started to slip into the depths, but that would be my guess.
0: Well, yeah that that's a good guess, on where I was going, but that's not true. The, the the number one player last year is probably who you would expect it to be LeBron James. He was number one. Oh, number yeah. 2 was Tony Parker, but number 3 was Kevin Garnett. And so, you there know, you. when when people start kind of thinking about Garnett and Pierce as, well, they're just old guys, you know, that you have to move on from. It kind of hides that, okay, maybe they're not playing 45 minutes a game anymore, but you for 30 minutes a game during the season and then for, what, 35, 36 minutes a game in the playoffs, you're still trotting out there players that for any given period can be among the best in the NBA and maybe the best on the court. And so, you know, when Rondo is there – To to kind of uh, Be the high minutes guy And now Jeff Green seems like he's developing Into a high minutes guy that can give you Solid production and Avery Bradley He's 22 he should be able to run all day You know when you have those guys there to bridge the gap Then having these vets That can push you over the top You know that that makes the team potentially special That's what gives the Spurs Or the 2012 Celtics the ability to, To look the heat eye to eye And say you know what we might just beat you And so um Yeah, I really hate that the Celtics
2: gave that up. Yeah, in particular, Garnett, um, I know, and the combination of Garnett and Bradley in particular, um, if you look at some of the on-court, off-court, defensive statistics, that combination Mm. or or any, you know, five-man unit with those two players on it were, you know, almost at historic levels. um, Mm. And, you know, that really speaks particularly to Garnett's value as a... Communicator on defense and and also his positioning and you know that stuff certainly doesn't show up in the box court it probably also escapes even the notice of a you know a casual fan watching the game just Definitely. the influence that Garnett has when he's on the court just through you know through his knowledge and experience and his ability to to kind of coordinate everything that's going on back there I, I think you know it, it's interesting that you bring that up and you bring up the point about what Garnett and Pierre bring to the Nets. Because it's it's interesting from the net side of the trade, I, I think the, the the most common narrative you hear out there is, you know, the question of whether you know Garden and Pierce have enough left in the tank to bring Brooklyn right. up to the, the the level of of the Miami Heat, and I actually think that that argument or that line of thinking is hapless. Uh You know, I would argue. That the success or failure of the Brooklyn Nets and, and their ability to compete with LeBron James in the heat next season is more going to be a function of how well their established vets, the guys like Deron Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, you know, that are still there and that kind of you know form the, the core of that squad, how well they absorb and, 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 and are able to apply and leverage all of those things that you talked about, KG, and just bringing to the table. That, to me, is the mm-hmm. story of the
0: Brooklyn Nets in 2013. Yeah, no. I mean, the, the Brooklyn Nets moving forward are very interesting. Um, they, I mean, they're a very interesting team, a very interesting story, because so many things can happen. One of the um, very common responses I've seen, especially among, you know, Knicks fans or, or people that are critical of the Nets, and even among some of the um, analysts um, on, on TV, that you might read, is that the the Nets, Now are old And they brought in a lot of big names So it's very similar to what the Lakers Did last year and they said well the Lakers Brought in all this talent and They barely made the playoffs so why Would we think the the Nets would be any different But to me it's an entirely different situation Because A what you Mentioned that the Nets Core was already in place And pretty young you know Darren Williams is in his Late 20s Brooke Lopez is what 25 Um, Joe Johnson Is 32 But still, you know, he's nowhere near the ages of um, a lot of what the Lakers were working with last year. So, obviously, Garnett and and Pierce coming in, they're older. But, you know, the entire team is not at that same type of age that that the Lakers were. So that's a big difference. But another big difference is the fact that the Lakers of last year were almost brought together like a fantasy team. You know, somebody said, okay, well, who are four really talented players? You know, you got Dwight Howard, okay, he's a great center, and Kobe's a great two-guard, and Nash is a great point guard, and, you know, Cal Gasol's a, a great power forward, and we're just in the pot and the team should be good, without really paying attention that Kobe and Nash both like to have the ball, and they can't both have the ball at the same time. Or that Cal Gasol and, and Dwight Howard like to operate in the same spaces, and they can't both operate in the same spaces at the same time. So they, you know, they just didn't fit well. Whereas the Nets this year – um in theory, on paper, I mean, it's going to be in theory until we see it in action, but there's very little skill overlap. You know, the, the, the pieces look like they fit together really well, and that gives the potential to kind of have really what happened in Boston in 2007, where when when Garnett and, and Alan joined Pierce, um, a lot of the pundits, no one, no one predicted them to come out and win 66 games and run through the league and, and go straight to the title. Um, a lot of the ESPN analysts predicted them. Well, they might win the Atlantic now. You know, they they might be second or third in the conference, um, so they're interesting now. But but nobody expects them to be a juggernaut. And the reason I think they were able to is because the pieces fit. Because Garnett was able to have his influence on defense, which is a lot more additive than on offense. And I look at the Nets this year, and I see a lot of the same. With Garnett and Karolinko, you've got two potentially dominant defensive pieces to come in and should fit perfectly. Um, And, you know, with with Pierce and and Joe Johnson, they both played with dominant point guards before, um, Johnson with Nash and Williams and and Pierce, obviously, with Rondo. So they know how to set up and, and, and score off of the ball. Um, Darren Williams knows how to score himself, but he's also been a double-digit assist guy multiple times in his career. So, you know, you know, and if I'm Brook Lopez, he can operate inside or or come to the mid-range, and KZ can operate all, all the way out to the three-point line. So it just really seems like the pieces fit well. And I don't think, back to your point, that um, you know, Pierce or Garnett will have to come in and carry the load the way maybe they have in the past. But I think they have a very important role to play on the court and off, and that if the incumbents, the Darren Williams is and the Lopez is and the, the the Joe Johnsons, can absorb some of the lessons that the Garnett peers have to teach while at the same time, you know, being able to form a synergy on the court, um, they could be a really scary product next year. Um, they, they, You know, the, the question is, well, do they have enough to topple the heat? If they hit their best to stay healthy, which are two big ifs, the question might be, do the Heat have enough to stay with them?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's right on. I think the pieces, you know, the potential is there for the piece to fit, and it's more about attitude and, and acceptance than it is about skill skill set. You know, Deron Williams in particular has never been known as a great teammate and has had run-ins, uh, you know, with several coaches uh, in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how he, you know, kind of melds and meshes with, you know, old school guys like Pierce, KG, and, and, and really coached Jason Kidd, and 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 that in and of itself is an interesting dynamic with, you know, really strong, you know, alpha, you know, lead dog type personalities, and Pierce and KG coming in, and you've got a, a rookie head coach and and Jason Kidd who certainly is a contemporary with those guys and, and has a relationship, but he's also trying to establish his voice in that locker room, and I'm curious as to how that dynamic is going to play out.
0: Yeah, that that. <laughs> That's one to watch and and one of the potential pitfalls for this next team. But so far, it really seems as though the right things are being said by all involved and we'll have to see it play out. Um, Mentioning Darren Williams and and Jason Kidd um, and and kind of Williams' history with with his coaches and and mentors, Um, since he's been in the NBA, Williams has always been tabbed as the franchise player for his team, which also makes him kind of the de facto leader which has always given him a lot of clout, even from the time in his career when he was really young when maybe he wasn't necessarily ready for it. And and if you come in and you always have that clout, it can be difficult maybe sometimes to learn how to lead, to follow as well as lead. But in this instance, um, all of the stories say that, that Darren Williams' idol growing up was Jason Kidd. And so if you have arguably, you know, one of the top point guards in NBA history come in to be your coach, even if he's inexperienced as a coach, he's not inexperienced at being a franchise caliber point guard. So it would seem as though he should be able to communicate directly to Williams and speak to him in a way that perhaps some of his former coaches couldn't and, and, and demand the respect from Williams that maybe um, some of his other uh, NBA mentors couldn't. So I guess the hope for the Nets would be that, that, that that's how that plays out. Um And then, you know, just the dynamic with um, Garnett and Pierce coming in when, A, they've been Jason Kidd's direct peers for about the last 15 years, and now they have to call him coach. You know, that's the potential for an issue. And then from Darren's point of view, um, he's always been the de facto leader, but as soon as the trade was, was consummated, all of the articles out of New York where hell, well there's a new sheriff in town, you know, Kevin Garnett comes in to change his cultures and he's the biggest personality on the team now, you know they they're going to have to find their level. Um but I think as we saw in Boston with um Pierce and Garnett and Ray Allen coming in, they know how to communicate and and defer when necessary in ways to to allow each other to maintain their pride. And I think that's big. And then second, as Rondo's been coming to base the last few years, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it was uh, without rocks. I mean, we hear these stories coming out of the locker room of, of different people that were butting heads at different times. But I think from that situation, Pierce and Garnett have learned how to deal with a very talented younger point guard who, because as, as his role as the point guard, is going to be the leader of the team. And I think those lessons will help them to deal with Darren now Darren just has to learn how to deal for the first time in his career with peers on the court that, you know, may be more charismatic, may be more vocal, and may have more experience, but at a similar talent level, and thus may be worthy of um, of, of, of his respect and, and, and him to defer at times as well. So th- these aren't trivial things, and they're things that would have to be sorted out before the Nets could be serious contenders. But when I look at the way – that the players involved or in, the, or the coach, being kid involved is responding. When I see kids bringing in two very experienced, well thought of assistant coaches and feeding the the running of the offense and defense to them, um, and, and and learning on the sideline and taking notes, and and it just really seems like nobody involved is coming in with the you know, I'm Rick James kind of mindset. You know, everybody's coming in with hey we want to win, we need to work together on this. And if they can really maintain that thought process, then the rest should be able to work itself out.
2: Yeah, that's all great points. And you know, I think especially that relationship between Kidd and, and Williams is going to be crucial because you know one of the biggest indicators of success in the NBA is, is the relationship between the head coach and, and the best player. And I think that just gets magnified when that best player is also your, your point guard. So I, I think that's going to be critical. All right, it's uh, time to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what what might uh, be in store for the Celtics next season and some of the things we might see across the NBA as 2013 gets kicked off. Andre, if you'll stick with us for a few minutes. Uh, We'll come back after break and, and chat a little bit more with you.
0: I look forward to it. Don't go anywhere. The Celtics speak returns after
1: this. Hey, this is Mike Faye from Mike T. Just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on clnsradio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the off season, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox. Plus, we still have our outstanding weekly shows. Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backey. One hit away from a perfect game, and he was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always say, you, yeah, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and Wall. The teachers win games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert. Don't forget, you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding, and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS Radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile, and signing up is so easy you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text fans to 22828 to join our e-updates community. That's CLNS fans. One word to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at clnsradio.com/forum. CLNS radio is getting bigger and better every day, and we want you to be right there with us. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD post-game show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com.
0: This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to CLNS Radio. Radio.
1: CLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Welcome back to The Selfish Beat, and here's your host, Ty
2: All right, welcome back, Celtics fans. This is Rich Conte, your host, back on Celtics feet with CLNS Radio. Uh, we've got our guest, uh, Dr. Andre Snellings, and uh, Andre. Before the break, you started to touch on the Lakers and kind of the, uh, I guess, no other way to put it than the train wreck of uh, their season last year. Um, you know, it's interesting. The Celtics and Lakers, uh, for the most part, the two marquee franchises in the league, and they both kind of find themselves at a uh, at a crossroads right now. Uh, what's your take? on the, the direction that you teams are, are moving
0: in. Yeah, the, so this generation of Lakers versus Celtics has, to me, just so many parallels because, obviously, um, the 07-08 season is when Garnett and, and Allen came to the Celtics and kind of touched off um, the Big Three era. But also that year is when uh, the Lakers um, traded for Pal Gasol, which touched off their own uh, kind of championship era. And so from... 2008-2010, the two teams won all three championships and, you know, had a couple of classic matchups. Well, what happened next also kind of was similar because um, for the Lakers, their young guy that they had drafted and were grooming to be a potential franchise guy was Andrew Bynum. And for the Celtics, obviously, it was Ray Don Rondo. And after that 2010 season for 2011, both were kind of focusing on their young guys, trying to maybe make them move forward a little faster and, and take on a, a larger leadership role. Um and and then obviously the last few years haven't gone the way either team wanted them to go. And so you come into this off season and the Celtics, you know, lost the coach obviously Doc Rivers and then they decided from there to well, let's just blow it up. And and we've already spoken about how maybe in my opinion that might have been the premature thing to do for them. On the other side of the table, the Lakers lost their coach last year, um, or I guess the year before last, and so they've kind of had a coaching carousel these last couple of years that has not gone well for them. And then instead of losing their vets, you know, instead of losing their equivalent of Garnett and Pierce, which would be Kobe and Gasol, instead they lost their young piece, you know, uh, Bynum, who became Howard, who now plays for the Rockets. So whereas I really didn't feel like the Celtics were in a position where they needed to rebuild because I thought they had plenty of young pieces as well as having potential contending um, possibilities even now, the Lakers, they might actually be in in a, a place where I think they could use a rebuild. I still don't go the complete slash and burn route. Like I don't feel like they have to trade everybody and just start with complete free agents. But um, I would consider uh, – trading Gasol, um, maybe trading Nash, and and, and starting over with Kobe and potentially a high draft pick next year. And they really don't have any other long-term salaries on the books. And they're L.A., which, you know, as Celtics fans, we don't like, but um, we know the free agents like to go to L.A. And so if you keep Kobe, maybe keep Powell. You know, Powell, I think, is actually an underrated player. I think he's really good. So if those are the only two salaries you have, um to get rid of Nash, they've gotten rid of Artes. I've been hearing rumors that they were looking at Lamar Odom, but maybe stay away from that route and just, you know, have your two main guys, um, a potential lottery pick in, in next year's draft and whatever, you know, draft considerations you maybe got back from Nash. Um and then a lot of cap space so you can maybe sign a, a max free agent or so. I think that's probably the direction that the Lakers should go. Now I don't know that that's the direction that they are going because, as I said, you know, even though they embassy met a world peace, um, I haven't heard anything about them um, potentially moving on from Nash. And I've been hearing they might be bringing in another 30 something in Lamar Odom. And we know that Kobe Bryant is not going to voluntarily enjoy going through a rebuilding season. So um, it, it would seem like they're not maybe going to pursue that route. But I think it was probably more natural for them to pursue that route than the Celtics, whereas the Celtics maybe should have held on. Um, So it it almost seems like they had some role reversal. Um, Going into next year, I don't foresee the Lakers contending. Like, I don't see what they could do between now and and the season that would make them contenders. Kobe's going to have to, you know, reprove and relearn how to play at a high level with his Achilles Injury if he can You know, soul Gasol has to be Kind of reintegrated as the main big man On the team um, Steve Nash has to prove that he can still Play, I mean the man's going to be 40 years old So they have major on-court Question marks that don't Seem as though, they're. and even the last time That they were healthy, we talked about how the last time The Celtics were healthy, they were a quarter away From the finals, well the last two years Before this year, the Lakers were Second round and outs and not really looking That competitive against the the major uh, uh, talents in the West So um, I just I, I don't see positive things in the short term For the Lakers And I don't see that they've really set themselves up For positive things in the long term The Celtics on the other hand are yeah, a little different Say what?
2: Oh no, sorry, go ahead
0: Oh yeah, no, the the Celtics are a little different Because, you know Like, like we said, they did pull the, the You know, pull the trigger for one of a better way to put it Um And so whether they should have or not, they're now in a position where they have this fresh young coach. They still have Rondo rumors. He's had rumors about him for years, perhaps being moved. But until we know differently, he's the starting point guard. Avery Bradley should be the starting two guard. Jeff Green is slotted in as small forward, and you have to feel like Sullinger is going to get a lot of run at the power forward. And now you've got Kelly Olenek, who looked really good in the summer league, um, certainly looking as though he's going to be part of the rotation. So those seem to be kind of the givens for this coming Celtics team. Then you have the unknowns. What are they going to do with Gerald Wallace? Is he going to be on the team or is he getting traded? What are they going to do with Chris Humphrey? Is he going to be on the team or is he traded? Same with, as you mentioned, Lee or, or Brandon Bass. Um, th- those four would all kind of fit in the category of veterans, be they young vets or maybe slightly older vets, that would seemingly fit better on – a team that's trying to contend this year than what it appears the Celtics are trying to do. Um, It would seem that, you know, the Celtics would like this to be a developmental year, a year for maybe Rondo to show what he can do as the man, a year for their younger players to step forward and and show that they really do deserve to be at this level. Um, And so it would appear then that that the vets being moved for other, either young pieces or – older vets that might be more mentors as opposed to to players themselves might be in the outing over in the offing for the next, you know, month or two. But until that happens, we don't know, which makes it kind of difficult to predict exactly what the team would look like. If I had to say, I would say that the Lakers and Celtics both appear to be on maybe a similar trajectory as far as success for next year, but um, barring big changes, you would hope anyway that the Celtics, might have more reason for excitement for, for longer term uh, uh, benefits than the Lakers currently do.
2: Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, while there might not end up, uh, this might not end up manifesting as a significant difference in the one loss records between the two teams next year, I, I think it's pretty clear that both yeah. are going to be. Um, you know, at best, fighting to make to make the playoffs. I think the situations are va- are vastly different. I think, um, in a lot of ways, the, the Lakers' decisions were kind of taken out of their hands. You know, with Dwight Howard deciding to to sign with Houston, and with with Kobe's injury, and you know, at best, he's going to be back at Christmas time, and more likely, the All Star break. I have a hard time, you know, particularly in the West, seeing the the Lakers compete for a playoff spot, and and so. Honestly, they're in the position of, of really just kind of a wing and a prayer. Um, certainly, they're the Lakers, and they've got a great track record for bringing aboard uh, you know marquee free agents or acquiring impact players uh, that become available uh, via trade. It's a popular destination. Um, you know, but the reality is, um, even you know even once they're able to free up all that cap space next offseason. Um, how attractive of a destination are they going to be if you consider, you know, Kobe is, is on his last leg and there really isn't, you know, much else there. And I know the um, the the popular notion is that they're going to make a big play for LeBron James uh, next offseason. And if, you know, failing to acquire him, you know, maybe um, you know, Carmelo Anthony is the fallback. But if you're those, those, those guys, who are you going to L.A. to play with? So unless right. the Lakers have a, a you know, get really lucky in the lottery and, and land in Andrew Wiggins or Javari Parker, um and are able to kinda of use that young talent as a way to, you know, leverage um you know some some interest from Carmelo or LeBron. I you know, I think it's gonna be a, a a longer rebuilding process for the Lakers. Whereas you know, certainly the Celtics have a lot of moving parts. Um you know, it's it's really unclear how they're gonna fit. Going forward in an, in the next season, um, I expect as you do quite a bit of uh, roster turmoil, uh, you know, um, through the rest of the off season and really through next season. I think at the All Star break, um, you know, some of those contracts they've got there become attractive to other teams. But at least with the Celtics, there's there's assets there and there are things they can build on. And if if you look at situation compared to when Ainge came aboard in 2003, you know, that was a five-year rebuilding project, um, you know, that led to the championship in 08, but the reality is the first year or two, or maybe even into the third off season, it was really, Ainge was in the process of tearing things down, you know, he had a, a dysfunctional roster, a dysfunctional locker room, problems, you know, in, in the coaching staff. No assets really to speak of, a uh, kind of a salary log jam that, that had to be clear up. And it took a good two at least two off seasons to rectify those situations before he could start building the talent and, and turning it into a championship team. I think this time yeah. around, um, you know, as much as I didn't like the idea of trading K G and Pierce, once that trade kind of became an inevitability, I, I thought for the most part the Celtics did very well for themselves in what they got back, you know, if, of course, except for the, uh, the the case of Wallace's contract. So I think they're in a in a much better position than they were before, and, and a much better position than than the Lakers.
0: Yeah, and also too, you know, what shouldn't be underestimated, and you mentioned um, Danny Ainge coming on board, is that he's shown that he knows how to play the rebuilding game. I think one of the reasons why rebuilding is such a I don't know, it's such a crapshoot almost, is that a lot of teams and GMs seem to go the way of, okay, well, we're going to get rid of all of our good players and just get really lucky in the draft, or else we're going to to be able to sign that big creation. Kind of like what you were just alluding to with the Lakers, that that might be kind of their best strategy, which is almost more of a hope than a strategy. You know, it's a I hope we can land Andrew Wiggins, or I hope we can entice LeBron James to come and, and, and play based on, you know, who we are, the money we have. And unfortunately, it might work for the Lakers because they have a history of being able to pull that off, but it's not a guarantee for them, and it's really not a guarantee for anyone else. Whereas with what Danny Ainge and, you know, uh, interestingly, um, his uh, protege Daryl Morey in Houston have figured out, that it maybe other teams haven't, is that you don't have to get, Lucky and find your franchise player through the draft or 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 through free agency. If you can develop, you know these young guys and make them interesting. They don't even have to be maybe as good as um, you know as maybe they're made out to be. If you can make them interesting enough that other teams are willing, if you can sell them to other teams, and then you can put enough of them together to bring in an impact player. And if you start with, with, with having, even if it's just one impact player of your own, and you can put a package of pieces together to get another, well, now you're talking. Now you've got something. That That's what, you know, that's what Danny Ain did, as you, you mentioned, in, in the mid-2000s. You've got, um you know, people think back to the the Al Jefferson and,
1: you know, um,
0: uh, uh, what was my man who blew the cup takeout in uh, the dunk contest green? Um, they, they could just, you know, jump through the roof. Um, anyway, you look back to he, he gets these interesting pieces, and honestly, and I hope this doesn't make me unpopular with with those uh, that listen to you, but Al Jefferson was never nearly as good as he was maybe portrayed to be. Um, again, with kind of the nerd approach, like he he had an excellent post game. He um, can, can do things, he can put up 20 and 10 in his sleep, but impact-wise that 20 and 10 doesn't really translate to what you would have expected it to. And maybe the the, yep. the nerds of the industry might have suspected that. But you say, hey, I've got this young guy, he's 20-something years old, he can give you 20 and 10. Hey, uh, Kevin Mitchell. why don't we trade a, a package with him and a bunch of other young pieces like sales and, 15 draft picks or whatever he put, and, and, and you give us this piece, we already have Paul Pierce, now we've got a contender. Um, and, and you see morey do the same thing. Last year, you know, he put together uh, uh, enough pieces to draw on James Harden, and now he's got him as his, his cornerstone. This year, that makes him attractive to, Dw- to Dwight Howard. So he didn't sign you know, uh, James Harden as a free agent. Um, he did sign Dwight Howard as a free agent, but I would argue it's directly because of the, the groundwork that he laid in, in getting Harden. And I think the Celtics, because Danny Ainge has done it before, you know, the, you could definitely make the argument that, that they kept Rondo, you know, some of these pieces, Kelly O'Lenick comes out in his first team, all NBA rookie this year. Now you can put Kelly O'Lenick with um, you know, a couple other uh uh, of these nine draft picks he has in the next couple of years. And maybe all of a sudden you can entice somebody to give up uh, a, a disgruntled um, franchise player. And, and, and now you've got something again. So, so bottom line, yes, I do think the Celtics are probably in a better place than the Lakers and because they, they, they are in the place to build through strategy as opposed to hoping for luck.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. You know, it's, um successful franchises are in a way rebuilding all the time, and it's this notion of the starting over rebuild is really something only. You only do when you're forced into it. Only, you only do out of desperation. And unfortunately, many teams in the, in the NBA, many franchises are kind of continually in that state. But you're 100% right. Look at look at something, you know, teams like the Spurs. And a couple of years, seasons ago, when the Spurs traded George Hill, who had become an established, solid player in the rotation for a you know, championship depending team, they dealt him away for the pick that became Kawhi Leonard. And so successful franchises are well. always, Building and that they understand what they have, they understand what their assets are, and they're always trying to, you know, you know, look to the future while kind of maintaining competitiveness. And in many ways, the Celtics rebuilding this year isn't as elastic as many would make it out to be, because as you said earlier, they they do have talent, and, and there's young talent that they are, um, you know, at, at least on the surface, it seems like they are counting on as part of this transition into the next era, and it really becomes figuring out how you, you know, accrue other assets and, you know, leverage them into that kind of, you know, franchise-altering talent as they did in the, you know, 2007 offseason. And, you know, the, the lottery is, and, and the draft is probably the most inefficient means of acquiring talent, particularly impact talent, because there's just so many variables. You're not only relying on ping-pong balls, you know, you're relying on, you know, the draft strategy of other teams around where you're drafting. And, you know, honestly, you're, you're relying on the development of that player, particularly in a losing situation can be a really tenuous thing. And you're relying on keeping that player, you know, when he, when he gets out of his rookie contract and presumably if he's figured it out, you're relying on being able to keep him. And so, you know, the lottery is a really inefficient way of getting that type of talent. Um, free agency is efficient for some franchises. It's not so efficient for others, although I think that's at time's overblown. You know, Houston isn't generally talked about as one of these market destinations for high-profile mm-hmm. free agents, yet yet they just landed White Howard. So I, I think there's mm-hmm. a notion out there that, you know, free agents won't come to Boston. And I've always argued, you know what, if it's a right guy – The fact that it's Boston actually will be a a drawing point, will be an attraction rather than a deterrent. You know, I think these, you know, if a player's uh, focus is on, you know, the -the off-the-court opportunities they have in a place like Los Angeles or New York, if their focus is on, well, I want to live somewhere where the weather is nice, you know, honestly, how serious is that player about competing? You know, and it's, it's as simple as that. So, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I you know, anything can happen, and you know, it, you, you know, to build a championship team, there, there's always an element of luck. But uh, I think the, uh, you know, the Celtics are are in a good position, particularly now with with the change they've made in the coaching staff. I think that's one of the pieces for me that has made the trade a little bit more palatable. Is you know, I think once Doc moved on to that opportunity to coach and run the Clippers. I think the, the the nature of trading KG and Pierce took on a little bit of a different, um, you know, uh, sense for me, and so I, I think you know, starting relatively fresh in terms of the culture, but at the same time, putting a a, a you know an emphasis, and and with the hiring of Stevens, it seems like there is a, a significant emphasis on culture and values going forward, and so you know, what, what do you expect to see from uh, the Celtics, particularly under a coach like uh, Brad Stevens?
0: Yeah, um, I'm really excited to see what the team looks like this year. Um, I would expect them to be in some ways similar to an NBA version of Butler. You know, they're not going to be as talented as a lot of the teams out there, which means that they're going to have to take more of a strategic approach. They're going to have to take an effort and energy approach if they want to be competitive. And from what I've read and seen of Stevens, that seems like that would be in his wheelhouse that he'll have one of those teams that, yeah, you know, they might not have championship talent, but the championship teams are going to hate playing them. And so um, Rondo, the you know, early in his career, he made a reputation for himself as an excellent defensive player. And then in the last couple years, he maybe had emphasized his offense more, perhaps at the expense of that defense. But if you take somebody with his skill set and his, um, ability to disrupt at the point and you put him next to Avery Bradley who's just a pit bull um, I guess self-named now pit bull on defense um, and then Jeff Green who's also just an extremely athletic and, and, and showed the capability to play strong defense last year. I would expect that that with those three being the kind of focal points of the team that this Celtics team this year is going to be young, energetic, they're going to play hard defense um I would expect them to to be there to be a lot of teamwork and not a lot of iso ball. You know, there's no Paul Pierce to throw the ball to and let it break down the defense. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I think they're going to do a lot of fast breaking. They're going to be very athletic, and so I don't expect them to be challenging for a playoff spot. Um, I've, I've seen some people that do think that, um, but I've never. I, I, I enjoy Ray John Rondo, but I don't think he's quite, um, you know, he, he's not LeBron. So I don't think he's going to come in and just, you know, by himself lead a team that they would necessarily challenge for the playoffs. But I think they'll be entertaining to watch. I think they'll be fun to watch. And I think that, you know, kind of piggybacking on what we were just talking about before, if they can show that they've got an entertaining young system and they've got good young players, then – that makes them an attractive destination for free agents, no matter where, um, you know, no no matter about the the geography. Um, Because as you alluded to, I don't think Dwight Howard went to Houston because they were in Houston. He went to Houston because they looked like a really fun team, and James Harden looked like a really good player. and They had a team that could put up a lot of points, and it looked like he might be the last piece to a contender. I think that's what the Celtics are trying to do this year. They're developing their own, and they're developing a system that – hopefully would be attractive to um, others from the outside that they might want to come join next year.
2: Yeah, completely agree. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we, we talked with a caller from Indianapolis last week, and he really stressed the, the kind of grinded-out defensive uh, approach that was kind of the hallmark of those Butler teams. And, you know, I think that's great. I think that, you know, there's, a, there's an element of continuity there with, uh, you know, who the Celtics have been over the past five or six years. So I know I personally would, would really enjoy seeing that. And, you know, frankly, I, I think, you know, they have the personnel, as you pointed out, that lend themselves to that. You know, Bradley is clearly one of the superior defensive players in the NBA. Uh, Sullinger, you know, despite not looking the part, um, actually had some pretty impressive on-court or off-court numbers on the defensive side of the ball last year. I think, you know, while he'll never be the rim protector. Of somebody like a KG, I think he brings actually some of those same kind of quarterback and and communicative qualities that that KG brought to the defensive end. Uh, Green, you know, um, while not known as a particularly effective defensive player uh, throughout his career, showed flashes last year and in the playoffs. Of you know being able to be that some of that long uh, you know defensive presence at at the three that can really disrupt some of the you know, the high scoring uh, small forwards in the league and you know you, you you mentioned Rondo and and I think if there's a single thing that um, you know I'd like to see Brad Stevens accomplish as coach of the Celtics is really to kind of um, you know get Rondo back to being that type of disruptive defensive presence that he was early in his career that you mentioned, um, you know, the game six of the 2008 finals against the Lakers, you know, of course, Paul Pierce was named MVP of that series. Of course, KG had a monster game in that, at, you know, game six. And honestly, for, for the first half of that game, when the game was being decided, Richon Rondo was the best player on the court, and I'm including Kobe Bryant in that. I, I think he had six steals in the game, and he was literally flying all over the court on the defensive end, just wreaking havoc. And I'd love to see the Celtics, you know, really the focus of the team be, you know, Rondo doing that on the defensive end, Avery Bradley doing that on the defensive end, and really getting out there and using their athleticism, running. I think that would be, be a, a really fun team to watch, and a team that that can, you know, potentially establish a new identity for itself. Kind of, you know, with that that feeling uh, up up tempo of play. So earlier you yeah, mentioned, you know, your your love of and, and background in and, and analytics, and and we all know that's um you know uh, been something that's been talked about quite a bit with regard to Brad Stevens. Um, how do you think that's going to actually impact the Celtics on the court, or or even in in the composition of their team as it unfolds over the next year or two?
0: Yeah, I think that um, one of the biggest kind of fundamental Um, outcomes or thought processes that come from focusing on analytics is that scoring is not the king. Um, I think that if you look over the free agents and and the money the free agents have gotten over the last ever, (laughs) 10 years, 20 years, however long you want to look (laughs) at it, um, the key to getting big money is a free agent was either to be a really big player, like, a, you know, a, a big person, I should say. Like, if you're seven feet tall, you're going to get overpaid in free agency. Or to be a as really good as scorer. And
2: walk and sh- as long as you're seven feet and can walk and shoe gum at the same time, you're guaranteed five to six million a year in the NBA.
0: <laughs> exactly. You're going to be rich. If you're seven feet tall and you're not rich, then you can only blame yourself. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, like, I think but the analytics approach argues the exact – opposite in many cases, that, you know, scoring in a vacuum is often not nearly as impactful as you might think it would be. And so when you look around the NBA and you look at some of the moves that are made, you can a lot of times tell the teams that have been put together with more of an analytics-based approach versus the teams that have kind of been more of a traditional old-school route. Like you look at, for instance, um, the uh, trade last year when Rudy Gay was um, – traded from Memphis to Toronto, and uh, Toronto got back kind of role players, defensive role players, and the overwhelming um, response among analysts and, and, you know, just basketball personalities in general was that Memphis had just did a terrible thing. They had just traded their leading scorer um, for role players, and they they were a team that that just the year before had been – you know, a threat in the Western playoffs. You know, how could they possibly do that? And meanwhile, Toronto had just got Rudy Gay, this 20-plus point-for-game scorer that was going to come in and, and be like a franchise piece for them, and, and it was just going to be wonderful for them. And so but from the analytics side of it, Memphis was made just like a hugely smart deal. They got players that could play defense. They got players that could fit into their system. They got players always tended to have those Good adjusted plus minus numbers Whereas in Rudy Gay the player that they Traded he never really had Those good types of numbers he was always more of A scorer that maybe wouldn't necessarily Fit into their system or every system And, and so You know Memphis had The analytics approach Toronto I would Say was more of the old school approach And again you saw when all the smoke Cleared Memphis was right there in the west With the possibility of coming out and, and representing Them in the finals and so There are a lot of deals like that, um, moves like that that I pay attention to. When we we mentioned Maury bringing in um, James Harden last year in Houston, that was, to me, an analytics move. There was a question at the time, well, is Harden really a max player? Every analytics um, study that I've ever seen screamed yes, that he arguably was the best player on the Thunder, you know, right there with Kevin Durant. And so, you know, and I think – Morey being known as maybe the most analytical GM in basketball, he had to know that, and and that was why he was in such a hurry to throw those that max money at him. Um, in 2011, the Mavs team that, that won the championship, you know, around Dirk, there were a lot of players, that people were like, "What? You know, these are these are role players. You know, how were how did, how is Dallas coming together and winning like this? It was it was because they were put together with that mindset, that analytics mindset in mind. So bringing that back to the Celtics. I think we'll start, We'll see the same thing. I don't think that we'll necessarily see them trade for uh, just somebody just because he's a great scorer or trade for find somebody just because, you know, he, he's on a lot of sports center highlights. I think you'll see a, a, a very smart approach. Um, Danny Ainge is a GM that, approaches that, that appreciates analytics. They now have a coach that appreciates it as well. And so I think you'll see a very smartly well-put-together well put team over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, I could see a, you know pretty convincing argument that you know uh, while you know much of the economics of the NBA focuses around these high usage players, right? They're the ones that demand the max contracts as you put out. <laughs> yeah, you know, the reality is unless you have one of those players, and he's not only you know a high usage player but also an extremely efficient high usage player. You know now we're talking, you know, you know. Two, you know, one of the two or three best players in the league. A guy like LeBron, a guy like Kevin Durant, etc. That you're almost better as a team going the other way and building your team differently, not around that high usage guy, but kind of like San Antonio has, like you said, by <laughs> by building pieces that that fed. And so, you know, if there's a limited number of top tier talents that you can literally just entrust your entire team to and, and hand them the keys. You know, Drop. Uh, to a okay. yeah. Yeah. great. We pretty wide range of topics, so uh, I I thought it was really fun. I hope you uh, enjoyed it as well.
0: I'm sorry, you. Oh, and I, you I lost the transmission right no, there.
2: Sorry about that. I was just saying thanks for, for joining us on the show. We covered a pretty nice uh, a wide range of topics today and had a lot of fun. I hope you did as well. So oh,
0: yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me. I hope I can come back.
2: Well, great, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon.
0: All right, look forward to it.
2: All right, Celtics fans, thanks for joining us again on Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti for CLNS Radio, and we will talk to you next time.